Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. On today's episode, I am joined by Andy Flanagan, the CEO at Iris Telehealth. Andy, how are you today? Good morning. Very well. Thank you. Excited to chat with you. I love you kick things off for the audience by giving them a little bit about your background, and then we'll talk more about uh, Iris Telehealth. Sure. Uh, father, husband of 31 years. Uh, CEO for two, been in all sides of healthcare, and um, you know, just uh, believe in doing good while doing well. So that's that's always the goal. Love it. What, what's uh, that's thirty-one years. Congratulations, by the way. That's uh, it's not something you hear as much today. So when I, when you hear it, that is incredible. Um, so congrats to, to you and your family. Yeah, thanks. No, it's very cool. So you're, you're the CEO of Iris Telehealth. For, I, a lot of people have heard about Iris Telehealth. You've done a great job of marketing it. Um, you've been in the space for a while. Can you, can you tell people who maybe haven't heard about you, give them a quick overview, and hopefully this spurs their, their excitement around hopefully working with you or talking with you in some other way? Yeah. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people in, in mental health, and we need a thousand times more. So this is, this is not a zero-sum game. This isn't a business where... There are a few large competitors and they dominate the industry. Um, as, as you know, 55% of the people in the world need some form of support. And we're finally addressing the stigma, which means that more people are coming forward and raising their hand. Uh, so, so the job is still somewhat endless around access. And that's really what we solve. Uh, we, uh, we work with serious mental illness across all patients and all phenotypes, pediatrics to geriatrics. And we're focused on the delivery system. Our job is to strengthen the delivery system in our country, you know, eventually the world, and and help our health healthcare systems, federally qualified health centers, community mental health centers, and hospitals and health systems, strengthen their psychiatric practices so that they can be there for us when we need them. And so we do that uh, as a medical group. We have um, almost 300 clinicians that we employ and. Uh, we are basically partnering, we call customers partners. We partner with these delivery entities as opposed to people that go direct to consumer to address you know, low acuity, stress, anxiety, depression, uh, or work with self-insured entities like Home Depot or other words, otherwise in an employee assistance program. Um, all those programs are critically important and they, they address low acuity moments in time. But when things escalate, people try and find a psychiatrist or they go to the emergency department, we are that team. We are the escalation team. So we're focused on stabilizing, helping people return to the right level of care, lower level of care in control and, um, and return to those support networks. Like I just described, um, in, in addition to their primary care physician. And, and what would you, so you, you already talked a little bit, but if, if we, if we need to hit on some more, um, what are some of like with these customers that you're working with today, what are some of the biggest challenges? Uh, you gave us a great overview by the way. So thank you for that. But, um, what are some of the biggest challenges that, that you feel you, you help them solve? You know, if, if you think about a, a hospital or a health system, they were never designed to handle the volume of people raising their hands saying, I need, I need help. 
And so the primary care physicians are referring people to the psychiatry department of the health system, as an example, at levels that are five times higher than the hospital ever staffed the psychiatry department to handle. That's it. It's super simple, unfortunately. And so when you say access, it means that our, my primary care doctor refers me to a psychiatrist at the hospital and I have to wait five months. Well, that's not going to work for me because I'm at home and I'm not well and I need help. And so we help them solve that problem. We unravel that problem and we do it by engaging deeply. We look at their technology. We look at their care pathways. We look at their staffing levels and we insert technology process and clinicians or, or other people, um, where there are gaps to be able to handle this higher volume and return it to a more normal level. So we expect our hospitals to increase their capacity in all three of those areas while we normalize to a run rate level of whatever that community needs. And every community is different. You know, we talk a lot about social determinants of health and drivers of health. Well, particularly in mental health, those, those are very real impacts on determining whether somebody needs to see a therapist or a psychiatrist. And so that's our job. It's heavy work. Uh, we have very long relationships with our customers, an average of four years, if you will. We've been in business 10 years. And so uh, we partner deeply and, um, and the work, unfortunately, is never done. So when, when we look at, thank you, for, thank you for saying all that, Andy. When, when we look at the current state of the industry and then the future of the industry as well, um, you know, how, how can, I guess, telepsychiatry as a whole help with this psychiatrist shortage that uh, it's not going away anytime soon, right? It's not. Um, no. and, and I think many of us can, you know, assume how it can help, but I, we'd love to hear from you in terms of your thoughts on, as an industry, as, a, uh, as the industry, um, you know, on the whole, how does, how does that look to you? You know, uh, pre, pre-pandemic, telehealth in general was fairly low. It was still climbing in adoption. It was mostly us as consumers at home, you know, sniffles and general medicine, right? Especially college, great example, my kids. Um, and then pan- the pandemic hit and, and every service line very quickly started adopting telehealth at scale. And then post-pandemic, everybody returned to a little bit higher level than pre-pandemic, except behavioral health which stayed at 67% of the consults being virtual. And that happened for a few reasons. Number one, mental health is one of the few conditions that you actually, there's parity between us being in person versus us being virtual. So you address stigma. I'm not sitting in the waiting room, looking around, wondering why everyone else is here seeing a psychiatrist. You have practical reasons, drivers of health, like I'm working and my child is at school. And I don't have gas to drive there and back three times a week. That's a real thing, right? So there are some practical nature elements, but let's stay in the the question about the health system. The perfect story about the health system is that in the middle of a therapy session, a patient may escalate or or an intake assessment. And you need to immediately engage a psychiatrist to prevent something very bad from happening. You can do that virtually immediately. And physically you can't. And so psychiatry is one of those that where it's clinically sound, it's equivalent in most cases. And um, the the second thing is that you have dexterity. So in 
in your experience, and you've you've mentioned this a little bit, but we're gonna we're gonna dive into more detail if that's okay. Does does psychiatry uh, does uh, telepsychiatry help with pa- patient satisfaction? Because you mentioned that you know you're not the, in face to face in this situation, and 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 I guess also how does that affect what's the experience and how does it affect the provider organization cost? So this is kind of a twofold question sure. for you. You know, look, the, the quadruple aim has the clinician and the patient experience, right, as half of that story. And th- this is one of those moments in behavioral health where uniquely the patient and the clinician actually are well served by having a virtual mo- encounter. Um, the clinicians want to serve at the top of their license. That's why they've spent, you know, decades practicing, you know, becoming a clinician. And similarly, when, when you're having an encounter with a patient, and we've talked a little bit about the stigma associated with behavioral health, which is a real thing. And so being able to do that from home, it's private. Um, but the, the flip side is think about the, the simple barriers to going to an encounter if you have a mental health challenge, right? There are a lot of reasons not to go. The no-show rate in behavioral health is 50% higher than normal. And so if you don't show up and you need a prescription and uh, you, need, you need therapy, or you need to see a psychiatrist. Um, the downstream effects of not showing in behavioral health uh, um, are, are personally very exp- expensive right, for the patient journey. So I believe that allowing the patient to decide, and the, and the end answer is an integration. You, you, really, the perfect world is you want people to be able to see a psychiatrist in person when that's important. When you're prescribing, certainly initial consult, there are moments in time where face-to-face is super important. Group therapy. Face-to-face is fantastic. And there are moments where it's equivalent to be virtual. And so the real, the real answer there, Jared, is to adapt to the moment to allow the patient to be virtual when virtual is just as good and to be in person when in person is critical. That, that's the end. So thank you. Thank you, Andy. Really appreciate it. Uh, when, when, when everyone looks at this space, there's... There's constant, probably your spit, your, cause you have the best use case for telehealth, right? Being in the psychiatry space that in, in my view and in a lot of other people's views, that's the best space for telehealth to flourish. That being said, because of that, there's a lot of companies that tend to move into this space, right? Uh, even, even the young early stage startups. With that being said, can you talk us through how Irish telehealth kind of sets itself apart from some of these other companies? Sure. You know, first of all, I welcome everybody to come into this space. I, I want a thousand more companies coming into behavioral health. And some of them are doing incredible things. Then they're focused specifically on one very specific patient journey, mothers, you know, women's health during pregnancy for postpartum depression, very, very small population critical time, right? And that's a specialty. And we have clinicians that specialize in that moment in time. And so uh, the way that we look at this, Jared, is that um, by focusing on all serious mental illness at scale in health systems, we believe that we are, well, we know we're already seeing hundreds of thousands, over a million people a year and uh, we want that to grow because there are tens of millions of people that need help. So our story is to be able to do what we do at scale 
helping health systems get better every day at doing it themselves. And so by using our platform, we bring industry best practices. We help them with their technology integration. We help them with their reimbursement strategy so that they can be profitable because usually hospital systems lose money on psychiatry. They'd rather buy an MRI than add another psychiatrist, right? They're running a business, no money, no mission. And, um, and so they're just trying to stay profitable and that's hard for a hospital. So our, our job here in the enterprise of helping them think through and help them build a successful, sustainable behavioral health from the community, through the health system, back to the primary care and home, we're the only one doing that. And so that's our journey. It's, it's incredibly hard. If somebody wanted to copy us, we'd welcome them and we would wish them well. It will take them years to learn how to do that. It, it's, it's been 10 years. And so that's, that's what you need. No, it's, it's what I see too. That's the truth of it. Right. Uh, and uh, I, I know when conversations with investors, right, any of these companies going into it, they're hearing about you as probably one of the, you're, you're probably involved in the discussions when a new startup wants to come into the play, like, what are you going to do about them? Right. Um, being in business for years and building up these relationships and building up a quality offering that that is what is hard to surpass in it, like you said um that could take someone years to get to that point because yeah. it took you years to get to this point right so it only makes sense exactly. i have one last question for you andy before we wrap up and i love these questions anytime i have the word future in one of my questions i get super excited i've done this for future of women's health future of virtual care but in terms of what does the future hold for Iris Telehealth and Telebehavioral Health as a whole? Last part first, we don't know the edges of the story yet. We don't know the definition of behavioral health yet. And, and we have to not just serve serious mental illness, we have to integrate it into the workplace with low acuity. And so you're gonna see us work with some of the leaders in low acuity that are serving payers and self-insured entities and that integration until that happens, you know, we still haven't figured it all out because we have to be present as, as a healthcare community. If we think about, we're a medical group, so we think of ourselves as a provider. And if we're not providing our serious mental illness resources in an integrated fashion into primary care, into low acuity mental health in the workplace and at home, uh, then our job's not done. Okay. So second, I just told you what we're doing as a company. We're partnering with, uh, you're going to see us partner with some of the largest, you know, uh, complementary mental health providers in our space. And people would think, oh, they're competitors. No, we're not. We do something <clears throat> that's very different by being focused on serious mental illness. You know, we're not focused on resiliency. We're not focused on, you know, the, the worried well, you know, the, the tens of hundreds of millions of people that go to work us every day. And we're okay. We might feel down. There are plenty of companies there to help us through our employee assistant program, maybe through our payer. But as soon as we escalate, those programs don't help us. So we're going to go help those programs be deeper. And that's our job is to integrate. As I said, I think that this is a function of helping provide the most critical accesses, access near real time for behavioral health. It's, it's incredibly hard. Legislatively, you know, we have a a state driven medical, you know, construct in the United States. And so you're people talk about being in 50 states. Well, then you're 50 states. And then you're also licensed and credentialed in every facility in every 50 state. Right. 
So you, you really have to uh, crawl, walk, run in these stories. But but that's where I believe it will get to. Well, it'll be interesting to see how everything plays out and to, to track the Iris Telehealth story even more and your journey. Really appreciate having you come on the Slice of Healthcare podcast today, Andy, and I hope we can have you come back again real soon. Jared, thanks for telling the story. Appreciate you doing what you do.